All right. I heard great things while we were away about uh, not only the Ezra Group teaching on Wednesday, but also Jim Brown coming in last Sunday. But it's great to be back in New York City and to be able to start a new series on Jonah. You guys know Jonah, right? Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're going to jump right in. Now, I want to ask a question as we're getting there. Um, And this is for the young people in the room. So why don't we just say anyone under the age of 14, can you tell us who Jonah was? Give us like a one sentence. Yes, young man over there on the right. So he sinned against God and had to be what? Thrown? Thrown into the sea. All right, anyone else want to add to that? Yes, my man, Wade. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. Very well done. Anyone else want to add to that? Anyone else under 14 want to add to that? Tough to go after that. That was well done. Yes, young lady. All you got to do is watch Veggie Tales. That'll just tell you everything you need to know. Okay. All right. How about now for uh, anyone over 50? Uh, and we won't say how much over 50, but was Jonah good or bad? I, I hear things, but I don't see. Anyone want to brave that one? I have weight again, but. Yes. Yes, young man. Yes, young man. Toby. Good enough to be trusted for a job by God. Okay, yes. John? Uh-huh. He wasn't bad, but afraid. It's kind of a trick question. I know, it's terrible. Mark? He's like Star-Lord, a little bit of both. Ah, yes, yes. Fresh off the Marvel camp. Uh, thank you for that. All right, well, I think one thing we can agree on is Jonah got a little lost at some times in his life. And uh, we know a little bit about him. Uh, And so we'll do a little bit of history before we jump into Jonah chapter 1. But uh, if you were to uh, look back in the Bible and look for Jonah, uh, you will find him in 2 Kings 14.25. We won't go there now. Uh, But he was a prophet during the rule of King Jeroboam. And uh, he had a pretty sweet life, I would say. I mean, he was respected by the people, respected by the king. And uh, his job wasn't actually very difficult because the only prophecies he made were in favor of the king. And so uh, as a prophet, sometimes you have a, a hard job to challenge people or to do things that people don't like. But uh, up until this point, he was doing great. He was like, hey, God gives you favor. So the king was happy. Jonah was happy. Uh, Everything was good. And he never was in a position where he had to say something that people wouldn't like. Now, this is a a big book in the Bible or a small book, Jonah? Very small. Anyone want to guess how many total verses are in the book of Jonah? A little bit more than four. Verses. Verses. 40? Close. A little bit more. Okay, it's 48. It was somewhere in between all those. Um, 48 total verses. And yet, a lot of people have heard the story of Jonah, right? And it's got some pretty incredible messages for us. A small book, but a big message. Let's start with verse 1. You guys there? And I'll have some of this up on the screen. Verse 1, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach 
against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And uh, eventually we'll have a Wade translation. That'll be the WT, uh, which probably did just as good a job explaining it as we just read. Okay, so let's take this in little uh, bite-sized pieces. So uh, Nineveh, the great city of Nineveh, preach against it. Why? Because according to this passage, it says a wickedness has come up before me. And actually, one of the other versions of the Bible, it says, this city smells to highest heaven. All right? That, that it's basically a stench of wickedness that has risen up out of the ground and goes into the nostrils of God up in heaven. That's how bad of a reputation this city had. Also, the Assyrians who lived there in Nineveh had a really bad reputation. They were violent. Uh, they were abusive. Uh, they, uh, especially the king that was there, uh, Sennacherib's grandson, was infamous for torturing people, executing people, just to remind people how powerful he was and how impotent other people were. This was a bad place, all right? And it's interesting the words that are chosen that God uses to tell his prophet to, uh, to go over to Nineveh. It's two Hebrew words. We're going to practice them together. Kum and kara. Can you guys say that? Kum and kara, all right? And if you want to get a little Hebrew uh, with it, you can say kum and kara, right? You can get that little gurgle in there, which always helps, okay? Kum and kara. These are the words that God chooses to tell Jonah, his prophet, to go. And what do these words mean? Well, basically, kum is like, get up, all right? Like, anyone had a hard time waking up this morning, getting out of bed? All right, a lot of hands went up really quick. It was really quick to raise your hand for that, but really hard to get up out of bed this morning, okay? So you know that feeling of where you just, you have school, you have work, you got to get up, you have something to do, and you just, you get up. And that's what this, this word is, get up. It's assuming you've been in a sleep state, you've been uh, being lazy, you've been uh, hanging out, doing much of nothing. And so God's saying, get up, let's go. And then the other part of it is kara, which is speak or call or preach. Uh, be a prophet, say something, go do something. So it's get up and go and speak to the people. You guys got that? Kum and Kara. Okay, so if you're Jonah and you're, you're in the good life, you're hanging out right on the beach of the Mediterranean, you're having uh, cocktails with the king, you're saying all these nice things, everybody loves you, and God gives you this message, hey, it's time to go to Nineveh, where they kill people like you for fun, um, and it's such a bad reputation that it stinks to highest heaven, and you're the one that's called to go and preach against it and tell them that God doesn't approve. What are you thinking if you're Jonah? But Jonah ran away, as many of us would, from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Uh, let me show you a little map here so you can kind of understand a little bit more about what's going on. Um, so Gath Heifer is where he hung out, right? And uh, this is Nineveh. And this is Tarshish. You guys see what's going on here? Okay, it's like God has called you to go to the Lower East Side to preach, you know, and, and maybe you live in Harlem. So you're thinking about the train. OK, how many are down there? But instead you go to Canada. All right. Tarshish, back in the day, uh, coast of Spain, beautiful, like ancient Hawaii, where they went on vacation, waterfalls, you name it. 
So Jonah had a real plan in mind. I am not only going to not do what God's asking me to do. I'm going in the opposite direction as far as I can get on a boat across the Mediterranean. Tarshish. Can anyone relate to the feeling that it's hard to obey? Hard to obey. You know, one time uh, I had a hard time obeying my parents. We got the kids in the room today, so I'll share carefully. Um, I was about eight years old. Any eight-year-olds in the house? No, I'm right in between here. We have sevens. I know we have a couple tens, elevens. Okay. So I was eight years old and uh, was having some conflict in the home. And I didn't much like what my parents were asking me to do. Can't remember exactly what it was. But I got this plan that I was leaving town. I'm getting out of here. And my eight-year-old self came up with this plan to pack a couple little snacks in a little bag and stuff it in my pocket. And uh, we lived in this apartment uh, complex area where once a week, a, uh, an RV, like a big truck, uh, where some people would live in it and ride around town. Uh, this was called the Bookmobile. Did anyone grow up with a Bookmobile in their, in their city, right? And so in upstate New York, in Syracuse, we had the Bookmobile. would come in every Monday in the afternoon after school, and it would just set up in this RV, and it was basically, you could borrow books, like a regular library. So you go up in the Bookmobile, you walk through the few stacks that they had, you pick a book, and you have a little card. And so my plan was, because I had done this before, I had gotten into the Bookmobile, and I had hid in the back stack under this little area that only I could fit. And so in my mind, I thought, I'm running away from home. I'm going to hide in the Bookmobile, and my parents will never find me. Great plan. So I got my little bag and I got a sweatshirt that would be used as both a blanket and a pillow and really anything. The sweatshirt could work as anything, a weapon. I had my big plan. And so I got in the bookmobile and, uh, and I got in my hiding spot and I was there for just a couple of minutes and I thought, this is not going to work. And uh, it seemed like an eternity. It was probably only five or ten minutes and I thought... My biggest thing I hadn't thought through is, what happens when the bookmobile leaves? I hadn't thought about it closing and leaving. I don't know where the bookmobile went. So I'm thinking at some point, some creepy old guy is going to drive this thing away with the doors closed and locked. Where am I going to go? And then all of a sudden, that scenario didn't seem much better than going back home. And so I thought, I got to get out of here before it closes. And I slipped back out. It might have been only 10 minutes. I got home. I threw my stuff on the couch. And I'm like, I'm back. My mom's like, oh, do you have fun playing outside? <laughs> no, I ran away. <laughs> oh, you ran away. For 15 minutes. <laughs> so I was upset and we had a good talk. But I realized very quickly, you know, that I couldn't last very long without my parents. And I didn't want to last very long without my parents. Now, I ran away, but I was eight years old. Okay. When you read about a prophet of God who's given a divine assignment, to go to a city and preach. That's what they signed up for. That's what they're chosen for. That's what a prophet is supposed to do. It's one thing when you're eight and you leave town. It's another thing when you're the prophet and you go the opposite direction on vacation to Hawaii, right? So this is a surprise for people that would have heard this story many centuries ago. This is not good. And it isn't easy to obey, but we have this directive from God 
that he has what's best in mind for us. And we've got to trust his judgment. I want to ask you for the young people, what is the hardest thing for you guys to obey? I'm just curious. Let's go back to our uh, 14 and under crew. Um, what is, what's the hardest thing for you to obey? Maybe you can bravely tell us, uh, some people in the room. It could be a home thing, a chore thing, something your parents say. Uh, don't worry, uh, you have full uh, immunity right now. If you, if you share publicly, you have the protection of the preacher. I will talk to your parents so you don't get in trouble later. No? Okay, yeah, go ahead. All right, so hey, thank you for breaking the ice and, and being so honest, Kaylee. We really appreciate that. Uh, some of the adults are, are agreeing with you right now that it's really hard to wake up anytime before noon on the weekend. Okay, yeah, Wade, what's hard for you to obey at home? Yeah, okay, he's agreeing. He's like, absolutely. Can I just echo the fact that it's hard to wake up? All right, yeah, one more. Being nice to your siblings. Can we all relate to that challenge? That's tough. That's tough. Whether you're older or younger, that could be a big challenge, right? All right. Now, how about, let me ask the adults or maybe anyone uh, over that age group, what's the hardest thing for you to have to do to obey God in your life right now? What are some challenging things that you feel like, I've got to do this, but it's really hard for me to do? The young people were open. Uh, I can't see who's in the back. Go ahead. Getting advice. Okay, that can be really challenging sometimes. Is that Giovanni? Go ahead, Giovanni. Loving others when sometimes it's difficult to love them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being, patient. Being patient. Yeah, Margie. Loving your, Loving your enemies. Forgiving when someone hasn't asked for forgiveness. For forgiveness. Yeah. Taking care of yourself. Taking care of yourself. Yeah. Letting your husband lead. Okay, yeah. Seeking and saving the loss. All right, there's a lot of challenging things. Yeah. Taking care of others, all right? There's a whole host of things, right? Is it hard to obey sometimes? Yes. Whether we're young or old. If you look through the Bible, you'll find a ton of examples of this, right? Did Moses just jump up and say, I'm ready to go to Egypt? No. What was he saying? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I got a speech issue. I can't talk in public. I'm the wrong guy. What are you talking about? It cannot be me. Uh, how did Esther do the first two times that she was supposed to talk to the king? Right? She totally chickened out. It took three times to, to ask to free her people. Uh, what did Sarah do when she heard that she was going to have a child in her old age? She laughed like she thought God was telling jokes, right? And God was like, I'm not telling jokes right now. What about Gideon? Gideon, when he was called out, he said, I'm the least of the least. So if you go through the Bible, you have a whole host of people that can relate to the struggle to obey God. It's not easy. But God says, look, I'm not worried about all that. I know you. And I wouldn't ask you to do something if I didn't know that you could do it. I love how God knows us. In Psalm 139, it reminds us how. In verse 1, it says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. In verse 5, it says, you hem me in behind and before. In verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Jonah knew he couldn't run away from God. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Verse 10, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. This is God. He knows us so well. There's nothing God doesn't know about you. That might be a scary thought. 
He knows when you wake up. He knows when you go to sleep. He knows your dreams. He knows your nightmares. Even if you don't tell anyone, he knows exactly what you're going through. <clears throat> he knows when you pick your nose and you think no one's looking. I saw a guy uh, when we were on our anniversary and he was just really picking his nose, like going to town. And I could see his eyes looking around to see if anyone was looking. He never looked my direction. I mean, I was just, it was like a, a train wreck. You know, you can't take your eyes off. How, I was like, the finger is going way up the nose. Anyway, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just, we've all both, we've been on both sides, okay? You've been caught. You, you were watching someone. Okay, so it's just one of those things. God knows when you let out gas, all right? He knows. He knows when you're in the airplane and, and, you know, you, and you think, oh, it's from the bathroom. People won't think it's from me. And the, the fan will. Come on, guys. Come on. God knows all. He knows all that stuff. He knows your greatest fear. He knows what you're proudest of. He knows the times that you do wrong and the times that you step up and do right. See, I think this is a moment where Jonah is lost, but God knew how to find him. That's, that's what this story is about. God is willing to work with anything and through anybody to get Jonah found. And I believe it's the same with us. Let's keep going in our story in verse four. It reads, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we'll not die. I want to stop there just for a moment before we continue the story and finish out the chapter today. But I want to pay special attention to the words that are used here by the captain to Jonah. Guess what they are? The same words that God used with Jonah at the beginning. He says, get up and call on your God. Here he uses kum and kara. Kum, get up. Kara, call, preach, speak, do something. You know, imagine someone asks you to do something, right? Imagine uh, for the kids in the room, imagine your parents say, hey, uh, take out the trash. Or your boss says, hey, I need that report by 2 p.m. All right. Um, but the way they say it, there's something different about it. Let's say the way that your parent says it is it would be delightful if you took out the trash. Okay. Or, or your boss says it would be delightful if I could have that report by 2 p.m. All right. You guys with me here? Imagine that that's happening. It's the way they say it, the wording that they use. And you take note of the wording. Now, in response, let's say hypothetical, you don't do what you're being asked. All right, kids, you're like, no, I'm not going to take out the trash. I'm going to Tarshish. All right. So you say, boss, uh, in your mind, you don't say anything. Sure. Yeah, I'll give And then you don't do it. Right. And then let's just focus in on the time in between where you've decided not to do it. You haven't taken any action. No trash bag, no report, nothing. And you start hearing the same word in other situations. All right. Let me give you an example. You go get a hot dog for lunch and a guy says it would be delightful if you had exact change. All right. Or uh, maybe the teacher says you're at school. You didn't take out the trash that morning. And the teacher says it would be delightful if you raised your hand and you start thinking, you start taking note that the same words that were being used by your parents or by your boss are the words that you're hearing now. And what does it remind you of? Of the thing you didn't do. 
So my, my opinion is that God knew very clearly the words he chose deliberately to say what he was wanting his prophet to do. And then the captain uses the same exact words, whether that was God inspiring him to do it or whether he just did it unknowingly and just threw out there. And I think it was on Jonah's conscience. I heard it again. Has that ever happened to you? Something reminds you of something? Something that you should have done? Something that you didn't do? Something you feel guilty about? Whatever. And God has this amazing way of using circumstances to remind us. Sometimes it gets a little bit, uh, maybe it's a creepy feeling like, God is following me everywhere, you know? But he's not like a creepy stalker dude God. He's an amazing loving God that won't give up on us. Wants to help us. Wants to find us in our lostness. I want to show you a, a clip, but because, uh, because before Nemo got lost, uh, him and his dad got into an argument. And um, Nemo had this injury from a fish attack as a baby. Spoiler alert, sorry, it's been around for a while. Um, and so, uh, but Nemo, as a little fish with a little injury, didn't want that to stop him from living his life. And then conversely, dad didn't want his son to get hurt again. So he was overly paranoid and overly protective. And so there's a conflict at the first day of school and Nemo's with his little buddies and they're sort of daring each other near the edge of the drop-off. Let's enjoy this short clip. <laughs> yeah, let's see you get closer. Okay. Nemo! No! Dad? Oh, you're about to swim into open water! No, I wasn't it's gonna go up with Dad! If I hadn't no, shown up, sorry, I don't know. No, he wasn't gonna go! Yeah, you was too afraid! No, I wasn't! This does not concern you, kids. And you're lucky I don't tell your parents you were out there. You know you can't swim well! I can swim fine, Dad, okay? No, it's not okay. You shouldn't be anywhere near here! Okay, I was right. You know what? We'll start school in a year or two. No, Dad! not ready and you're not coming back until you are. You think you could do these things, but you just can't, Nemo! Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you, he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if you're not lost. Oh my gosh! Nemo's swimming out the sea! Nemo! What do you think you're doing? You're gonna get stuck out there and I'm gonna have to get you before another fish does. Get back here! I said get back here now! Stop! You take one more move, mister. Don't you dare! If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat. Nemo! You just pounded your little tail right back here, Nemo. That's right. You were in big trouble, young man. Do you hear me? people have seen that movie okay all right all right scary stuff you're feeling it I know it's a scary moment 
it, it's not based on a historically true story, but it could be historical fiction in the sense that this kind of thing might have happened. Um, anyway, uh, sometimes we can be like Nemo with God, I think. Uh, we don't like what he's asking us to do. And we say things like, well, I don't want to have to always be honest. I don't want to have to be pure all the time. I don't want to sacrifice and do the extra. And we can kind of dig our heels in and disobey and rebel. And, you know, obviously the analogy breaks down. Uh, God is an amazing God. Here the dad is going through some issues of his own, and they both grow throughout the film. And I won't spoil the end, but it's called Finding Nemo. Um, and it, it ends happily. Um, and, and God isn't overly paranoid. And he isn't overly protective. He's the perfect father, the perfect shepherd. He wants what's best for us. He's never going to give up on us, and he'll do whatever it takes to find us when we're lost. In verse 7, as we continue the story, you can see more evidence of that. Read with me uh, in your Bibles. It says, the sailors then say to each other, after hearing Jonah confess, come, let's find lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? It says, what do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? For what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Of course, they were used to the Ninevite way, and so they were saying, What should we do to you? You know. He said, Well, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. We'll stop there for a moment. You know, it is good that Jonah takes responsibility here, but the answer is to obey God, not to give up. And there's a lot of deep discussion about this in the commentary, but sometimes I think for us, we realize we've done some wrong, we've made a mistake, we've rebelled against the Father, we dug our heels in, we've gone against His will, and it's good to take responsibility, but sometimes we can wallow in self-pity rather than just doing what's right. right. Just deciding, okay, I just need to correct what I'm doing wrong and get back on track with the Lord. You know, uh, we say things like, yeah, um, you know, I didn't feed the dog. I, I didn't do the things I was supposed to do. And then we see the consequences develop later. You know, Nemo, in his mind, was he thinking he was going to get caught and taken away from his dad? No, right? And, so, and yet, when it happens, he's probably thinking that was not a worthwhile decision. How many times have we been in a situation where we made a decision, we didn't think it was going to be all that bad, but we knew it wasn't right by God, and then the consequences came back and punched us in the gut? That's not God taking out his wrath on us. That's God loving us, teaching us to change. So, no, it's not worth it to sit in self-pity and, oh, it's all my fault, just throw me overboard. I just want to sit in silence alone and ashamed and sad. But no, to allow it, as was referenced earlier, to change the way we think about what we're doing. That's what God wants from Jonah here, to change the way he's thinking about serving the Lord. And this comes back, and this is our challenge for the day here, is kum and kara, to, to really decide how to practically apply this in our lives. You know, what does it mean for me to get up and to speak? 
You know, what's something that you've run away from? Let's just think in the last few weeks, is there something that you felt is a spiritual thing you need to be doing? Something that God has called you to, a, a thing you need to do or say or whatever it is, fill in the blank. And maybe you haven't done it. And there could be a lot of reasons why. Maybe there's fear, whatever it is. Maybe your cum challenge is to get up from not making a decision and pray about it or talk to someone about what's going on in your heart and get a little bit of help. As someone said earlier, it's hard to get advice sometimes. Maybe now's the challenge to say, you know what, there's this thing that's bothering me, things I'm, thing I'm supposed to do, but I haven't done it. Can you help me in this area? That's the cum challenge. To stop sleeping on it, to stop escaping it, to stop avoiding it, and to take it to God in prayer and to get some help. And then the Kura, the Kura side, the Kara side, is to take action, to speak, to do something about it. Maybe, as was mentioned earlier, some of us said, hey, it's hard to forgive. Maybe there's a relationship or someone. And maybe that's the next step, is first to really deal, get it out of the heart, and then to take action, to speak, to make the decision to face someone or share with someone. I want you to think about what that is in your heart. And for those of us uh, in all different walks of life, and we've got the young ones in here today and the more mature, your, your fill in the blank is going to look different than the person sitting next to you. And that's okay. We all are in different spots and different journeys in our relationship with God, but there is something that we can decide to get up and go and speak about today. As we close out the story uh, here in the last verses, in verse 13, you can read with me and then we'll close out. It says, instead the men, verse 13, did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, as we finish this out and take our service into the communion time, it is very significant, that last verse. And many experts in the Bible talk about this being a prelude or something to get us ready for what would be uh, an even bigger story later when Jesus lived and wrestled with the decision to obey God, prayed in the garden, did submit to his will, and was buried three days in the belly of the grave. And it wasn't a resurrection from a fish to go preach to a city. It was resurrection from the dead to preach to the globe. And that's why we're here today. Let's bow our heads and pray for the communion. Father, as we think about finding Jonah, we can't help but think about you finding us. You have done so much through people, circumstances, signs and directions to help us to even get to this room today. Conversations, the ways that you've guided us here. So first off, we just want to say thank you for finding us. And Father, also we want to continue to pray that you Help us when we feel lost. It's uh, so common uh, for us to rely on our own experience when we get lost to try to find our own way rather than depending on you to help us find it. And God, we ask for forgiveness today for the sins we've committed against you, for the ways we've disobeyed, for the ways that we've justified self-pity or bitterness or resentment. 
And God, we ask that you help us to really live out these words, kum and kara, to get up from whatever sleep we're in, to face whatever fears we have, and to be able to speak into and do something about the changes that we need to make. God, Jesus is our personal example, our savior, our model. He rose from the dead, and we honor him now as we take the communion, the emblems of his body and his blood. We love you. We can't thank enough. Thank him enough for what he did for us. We pray this in his name, Jesus. Amen.